Praise be Jesus Christ, and welcome to Season 4 of CarmelCast. CarmelCast is a production of the Institute of Carmelite Studies Publications. For more information, please visit our website at www.icspublications.org. This season on CarmelCast, uh, as you may have guessed by our, if you're watching this on video anyway, uh, from our backdrop, we're talking about the life of St. John of the Cross. Um, and I am joined today um, by Brother John Mary of Jesus Crucified, Father Michael Joseph of St. Therese, and I am uh, Deacon Brother Pier Giorgio of Christ the King. Deacon Brother. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great, great to a hear new development. A, yes. new a new development from season three. <laughs> this, this, is, this is where uh, in Carmelcast we start to finally make our way. We have a deacon on set. Yes. <laughs> That's always the goal. <laughs> so like I said, we're talking about the life and times of St. John of the Cross this season. Um, and I thought it would be uh, maybe good to just... Um, maybe ask a question to begin um, to, to sort of understand why we're taking this approach to this season. So what, in what ways or why is it important that we know John's life in order to understand who he was and what he, how he wrote and who he was as a writer? I think a lot of people, they dive right into John's writing, uh, particularly like The Dark Knight, because mm -hmm. they, they love the, the title of that. That's what I did when I was in college seminaries. I started reading The Dark Knight. And um, it can be very hard to understand John's teaching, I think, unless we know him as a person. Uh, as a writer, he's very, I think he can be kind of absolute and extreme. Um, and yet when you get to know him as a man, uh, you see really just like he's not just this this man overcome with uh, obsessed with suffering or with like denying oneself of, of, of all pleasures in life. He's really a man of great love who lived a very joyful life. And so I think seeing that helps us to, to, um, to interpret his teachings better. Yes. And I think it's helpful too, because you can really see that he lived what he taught. Yes. You know, I mean, he's, it's one of these people that are just so authentic and the way that he embodied it, it shows too that his teachings lead to joy, you know, lead to a, a very human life, very, a life full of love, and that just blesses anyone you meet. Yeah. I think, you know, we're talking about a writer, an author, who was writing uh, shortly before the time of Shakespeare. And if we kind of you include that as context, maybe something a little bit more familiar to English speakers, um, you know, it's a language, it's in a different language entirely. And so to know that you know, just as Shakespeare is to English and may be difficult to understand for some people today. So John the Cross can be, um, you know, our translation, ICS translation of Father Kieran and Father Otilio, um, their translation of John the Cross tries to make the language more uh, contemporary in terms of being able to be understood by contemporary readers. But it can still be difficult to read 16th century authors. Mm -hmm. um, so in understanding his life, understanding his context, we can get a better understanding of who he was and, yeah. and just makes it easier to understand his writings. Yes, yes. So uh, kind of a theme for this season, I think uh, we had the pop question last, last, last season, which I know you both hated. <laughs> <laughs> never said that. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, this time we're each we're going to take turns um, picking a saying of light and love, um, collection of little aphoristic sayings that John of the Cross uh, said were collected. Um, and so we're each going to pick one, uh, one per, one per episode. And, uh, this time, uh, brother John Mary is going to select our, yeah. 
So it's great. There's these little sayings of light and love. John, uh, a lot of them he wrote out on little pieces of paper and gave them to people who would come to him for confession or spiritual direction. They're often very like pointed and, mm -hmm. and challenging things. Um, and so now we have a collection of, you know, over a hundred of these sayings. And yeah, they're just these little nuggets of wisdom. Yeah. Um, so I, I tried to pick a real stumper for you guys, but I was going to just read one and then kind of share uh, my own why I chose, why it speaks to me, and then maybe you guys can say a word too. Um, so I chose number one of oh, the wow. sayings of light and love. <laughs> the Lord has always revealed to mortals the treasures of his wisdom and his spirit. But now that the face of evil bears itself more and more, so does the Lord bear his treasures more. And I feel like, um, yeah, we can apply this on a universal level of the world. Um, I mean, we're going through like difficult times in the world, in our country. Uh, it can be easy to fall into despair. But John's saying that when there's more and more evil, really, the Lord is like offering us more and more treasures. Um, and then also, I think we can apply it to ourselves personally. When we personally are experiencing trials or temptations, um, it can be easy to fall into despair and think that God's abandoned us. But what John is saying is that uh, it's really the Lord's offering us even more graces during mm -hmm. those times. Mm -hmm. So uh, for this episode today, I wanted to uh, just start at the very beginning, right? We we're talking about John's birth and his early childhood. Um, so let's talk a little bit about his parents, first of all, Gonzalo and uh, Catalina, um, and just sort of their personality. It's a, it's a beautiful story. You know, last, last season we had Louis and Zaley, uh, this, this married couple who uh, loved each other dearly. I think th this season, uh, Gonzalo and Catalina kind of fit in that role in, in many ways because of, because of their love for one another. Yeah, and we see how the, 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 the fruit of a couple who are deeply in love with one another, how that bears fruit in their, their children um, and really can change the world. And I think that was the case with John's parents, Gonzalo and uh, Catalina. I think it's a, yeah, it is a beautiful story because Gonzalo came from this um, rather wealthy uh, merchant family and Catalina came, was a, uh, an orphan, came from a very poor family and the two fell in love. And for Gonzalo, that meant he had a decision to make. He could, could marry Catalina, but uh, in doing so, his family would basically ostracize him because uh, the idea of like honor and the bloodline was so prevalent in that uh, culture that to, do, to marry her would be kind of to reject his own family. And so he had to make a decision basically to give up his, his family and even like the comforts of his life uh, out of his love for Catalina. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so uh, it's really interesting just because of how dramatic, you know, this the beginning of, of John's life is. You know, this is, this is a story right out of a telenovela. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this, this sense of, of, of choosing love uh, before honor, um, something that was very dear to Holy Mother, St. Teresa yes. as well. Um, and and sort of really sets the stage for for John's for John's life, and also sets the stage for uh, John's own love for his mother, right? Yes. Yeah. I was thinking too that his mom must have told him many stories about his dad and um, and and that love that he had and and just the way he was, and I think that that had to have had an impact on John's own personality. You know that to to make love such the goal of his life. You know, regardless. Yeah, it reminded me that Gonzalo was very Christ-like and that he took on poverty out of love. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something, I mean, that's what Jesus did, right? By, by, by taking on our humanity, took on our poverty out of love for us. Yeah. And so John had that example in his father 
um, and he would likewise follow that example in his own life. Mm -hmm. So uh, when we were discussing the season, we promised that we weren't going to end it, people with dates, but I think we should give him one date, um, <laughs> <laughs> the year of John's birth, yes. which was, we think, 1542. Uh, we don't have any definitive documentary evidence of that, um, but we know that he's uh, 49 when he dies, and we know that he dies in uh, 1591. So we can kind of frame his, his life in that sense. So 1542 is the year of his birth. Um, just to give you some context, uh, St. Teresa was born in 1515. So uh, even though they were partners in many ways, which we'll talk about uh, in future episodes, uh, there was quite an age difference between mm -hmm. the two of them. Um, so bringing back to, to, to John's birth, and, and then the biggest, probably the first significant event in his life was the death of his father, right, mm -hmm. Gonzalo. Uh, when he was only three years old. Mm -hmm. um, and that really sort of began uh, a very troubling stage in John's life in terms of, in terms of difficulty. Yeah, yeah, John would have this, I mean, he would be old enough probably to remember or like to have some, some maybe not a conscious memory, but at least to have, have been, you know, strongly impacted by his father. And so this would be like the first, I think, of many sort of great losses in his life. And then also we see that um, I mean, Gonzalo ended up dying of, of an illness after suffering for many years. So John would have been a part of that process, too, of uh, his father suffering. And then eventually his father dying because of this decision that he had made in choosing poverty and choosing Catalina. Um, because if he had lived a, a more wealthy life in a, a life of less hard work, then perhaps he wouldn't have gotten ill and suffered in this way. So it was really for love that Gonzalo died. And I think also that the... The f just the lack of nourishment, I mean, the lack of just basic needs that were probably being taken care of. Gonzalo took on the, the job of a weaver, you know, which was Catalina's profession. And um, so that, that also would lead to this, could lead to someone being very almost bitter about their poverty, you know, later on. But obviously that didn't happen to John, even though he had these kind of traumatic experiences with poverty. He was able to see poverty still as such an ideal and, yeah. and not flee from it. And poverty was such an, a big part of his, his entire life, really. Yeah. Uh, there, was a, there was actually a great famine that was going on at that time, too. And so his family was really suffering, especially once Gonzalo died. Mm. It was, uh, I mean, they were left with very little, um, so much so that they had to go and look for help. Mm. They couldn't do it on their own. Yeah. So uh, John had two brothers um, to kind of round out the family, uh, Francisco and Luis. And... Uh, so for Catalina, raising a family of three without a father in this day and time, they were already very destitute in their poverty. Um, and so that sort of began trouble, right? There was, there was difficulties and there, it was a, a constant seeking to, to find assistance and to move to different cities to find work uh, for Catalina. This was sort of, this marked um, John's early childhood, moving from place to place. Just the disappointment with family, you know, because Catalina, of course, wants to go to, to Gonzalo's family to seek help, and they all pretty much shut the door on her, you know, and, um, and it's that, that rancor, again, that can set in, um, and John being witness to that, you know, going around with her in this kind of humiliating circumstance and not being given the help they need. Um, but what, a, what an impetus that must have been to trust in Providence and trust that God would provide for them. Mm -hmm. I really love the image, too, of like little John tra doing a lot of traveling because travel was not easy at that time at all. It wasn't like you just get in the car and drive to the next town. Um, it would be a lot of work for them traveling around. And so John experiencing this. As a young child, you don't always 
you can't always understand circumstances. So you don't know. I mean, I think if like going on a young a trip, a car trip, even as a young kid, are we there yet? You're always asking these because you don't quite understand the time or the distance or why we're even going. Um, but yet you trust your parents, you love your parents. So like John would just trust his mother, um, even though, and that, this is like just such an image of the spiritual life for us. It's like, we're on this journey. We don't always know the destination, mm. um, but we just have to trust that God, our father is, is leading us. Mm. And I think John sees that so much in, in his spirituality because he's always, he sees the, the spiritual life really as a journey. Yes. And in the midst of, of this journeying, you know, he loses his father at the age of three, and then he loses both of his brothers in one way or the other, one to death and one to adoption, um, also at a young age uh, when, he's, when he's both four and five. So very shortly, um, the three of them are only together for a very short amount of time. Um, and John's, the older brother, Francisco, is taken uh, by, through the goodwill, um, we, you know, we think of, of Gonzalo's brother, Juan, um, to live with them in, in, his, in his home. And then the, the younger of John's brothers, uh, Luis, dies uh, when, when John is only five years old. So these two losses, coupled with the loss of, of, his, of his father, um, where at this point uh, John is only with his mother and his mother alone, um, it, must have been, it must have been pretty difficult for him. I mean, think, we think of of Therese when she was when she was young, the, the losses that, that she suffered, mm-hmm. um, we see a kind of a similarity with John as well. Yeah, he definitely suffered a lot of, of loss. And again, often he wouldn't always understand the loss, I think, and mm-hmm. that makes it even harder. Um, his, he wouldn't understand why it is that his younger brother, his, uh, or his, his, why his brother would have to, to go um, and live apart from the family. Mm-hmm. But it was out of necessity of their poverty. And unfortunately, it didn't work out even very well for Francisco that they took him in. But I guess the, the wife of the uncle um, was very harsh with him and kind of saw him as just like a, a moocher pretty much. And so didn't really take care of him. And so then Catalina, after, you know, doing all that work, had to go back and pick him up. And um, but maybe providentially, it was good for John because now the brother was back in the family. And, yeah. and he was, I believe, 12 years older. Um, so a, a, a much more of a, almost like a father figure too. And Francisco, mm-hmm. you know, there's much we could go on. We wouldn't, you know, go into his life, but, but he had his own conversion. A lot happened in his life. He became a man of deep prayer, even as a young man. And that, what the influence that must have had on John too, this father figure who was showing him what it meant to be a Christian as well. And John always said that, that Francisco was like his, his greatest treasure. Yeah. Um, he really, he loved his brother a lot. Mm-hmm. There's an event that happens in, in John's life that I think in many ways um, is maybe foreshadowed by Catalina and her, the way that she nurtured and protected uh, the family, but also in her role, one of her, her jobs that she sought to support her family was as a wet nurse. Mm-hmm. And so John would have experienced this aspect of her mother, his mother in, in caring and nurturing for children. Um, and perhaps this had some effect on him in terms of his uh, understanding of the Blessed Mother, right? Um, can you talk a little bit about that, maybe? Yeah, it's, I mean, several times in John's writing, he brings up this image of, of God being like a mother holding, you know, a child in their arms or nursing a child. And uh, yeah, John would have experienced this in his own mother, seeing her, because he... Uh, he wouldn't have had a memory, perhaps, of himself nursing or his brothers nursing or anything like that. But he would have. She took on all these other children to care for them, and so he would have a memory, perhaps, of 
of seeing that and uh, and yeah, and then applying that loving, nurturing image to to God the Father. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the hagiographical writings about John's life they mention um, Catalina's, you know, how she was sought after in this role because of yes. her people respected her and her virtue. Right. Um, yeah, there's this real understanding as like a mother, uh, her virtue even like physically through her nurturing, like feeding a child, like somehow passes on that virtue to the yeah. child, which is really beautiful to think about. Yeah, and so in the midst of all the, the destitution of John's childhood, there's this, 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 this sense of peace and protection that really sort of takes over. Um, I think probably took over his, just his understanding of, of how his life was going. There was, there was love and there was, there was this nurturing aspect. Um, well, it shows too with all the instability and disruption, if you have that, you know, you can, you can be very resilient if you have that love surrounding you and, and that faith. Right. That's just constantly around yes. you. And faith is so important in this because if we don't have faith, this life would be a complete tragedy. I yeah. mean, John's life, but also yeah. our own lives, right? Mm-hmm. The sufferings, the difficulties, they would just be complete tragedies. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can see how when these tragedies are viewed in the eyes of faith, they become really like the, the, uh, the breeding ground for, for great saints. Yes. Yes. Before we sort of embark into the next stage of John's life, I think, I think it's, it's beautiful too to, to notice how through the loss of both of his brothers, one brother came back and lost his father, how even at this young age that John was experiencing um, the sense of detachment that takes mm-hmm. such a huge role in his writings. Yeah. Um, so even from an early age, he, he's in poverty, he has so little. Yeah. Um, and, and through that understands, I think, in a, in a, in a beautiful way um, that, that God provides yeah. uh, through that, through mm-hmm. the poverty and through the destitution, mm-hmm. and through with with family and, and a beautiful mother. Yes, right. yes, yeah. So uh, John has, I think, um, two interesting encounters uh, that that with the blessed with the blessed Virgin that I think are beautiful too, because John isn't necessarily known directly for his Marian spirituality or Marian writings, but we uh, we, we can see through the, these early encounters w- uh, with Our Lady. Um, how, even though it might not be explicit, that there's something underlying, uh, something very central uh, to John in his love for the Blessed Virgin. Yeah. Well, I think you said it well with uh, that maternal kind of image that he had already, like through his own mom, and that how Our Lady, I'm sure, was working through that as well to to show him that she was with him, protecting him. Um, there's that you know beautiful little episode of when he falls into the into the lake or to the lagoon. And it's this, you know, very dirty, swampy area. And he could have drowned. He's just a little tiny boy. And he said, and he didn't tell many people this, you know, I mean, he's not all about, you know, describing these things, but the few people he confided in, he said, this beautiful woman appeared to him, you know, and, and held out her, this immaculate hand. And, <laughs> but that John saw this, this cleanness and, and he looked at his hand as just filthy from this lagoon. And, <laughs> and he just said, no. And he put his head, like kind of put his hands in the top. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't sully this woman's hand. And then um, this farmer eventually came in and, and grabbed him out, you know, but he always saw that as this image of that, that was our lady appearing to him and, and did rescue him, even though he didn't want to touch, you know, dirty her hand. Mm-hmm. But. And it really, what really struck me about this is the contrast with that story then and then this story a little bit later. He's a little bit older. He's playing with his friends and he falls into a well mm-hmm. and they kind of just take him like he's surely he's dead. <laughs> um, but then they pull him up and he's not even injured. And so then he, again, he, he doesn't at that time necessarily like 
um, you know, go around speaking about this, but later in his life, he would attribute that to Our Lady's protection. Yeah. Um, but you see the difference in this first episode. He like wouldn't reach out to Mary yeah. um, because he didn't want his his dirtiness to <laughs> to her, you know get her hand dirty. But then in this uh, the later episode, it seems like almost he's matured in some sense, and like really, then Our Lady does step in and save yeah. him. Yes, and it shows too that he he. You know, everyone has their personalities, and he might have been a little bit of a spacey kid. You know, he tends to fall into wells or <laughs> into lakes. If you can't swim, don't play by the lagoon. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, yeah, and there was no Lassie at that point to rescue, yeah. to rescue ah, yes. from the well. <laughs> I just wonder, his friends were just staring at him, like, watching him. They weren't even trying to save him or anything. Well, I, and I read, I read one account that said, actually, some people think that one of the boys pushed him. Oh, you know, they are roughhousing, yeah. and he pushed him, and then he fell in, and that they probably freaked out, and they're like, oh, well. Run away. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the last thing that we really want to talk about is, is sort of John's um, entrance into school-aged, and also... His first sort of encounters uh, with the sacraments, um, in in sort of two ways, um, through through his beginning to serve at the altar as a as a young boy, um, going to to catechism school, um, and then also uh, working with the sick and uh, experiencing the sacramental life that occurs in the in the context of the hospital. Yeah. Um, so all those sort of aspects will wrap up with that uh, his studies, um, his his learning of, of the, the catechism and, and sort of his introduction into the sacramental life of the church. Yeah, when John was about nine years old, they moved to Medina del Campo, which it was a bigger city. And so it made a lot of sense that this struggling family would move there because it would have a lot more resources to provide for the poor. Um, and so because of that move, then John was able to go to school because this was a big enough city where it was a school was provided for for free for those who were poor. And so he was able to go to this catechism school, which had to have a huge impact on him. Um, from what we know about the school, it sounds like, I mean, it kind of had a monastic schedule. And it was, a, mm. it was a, a boarding school. So it really you would really enter into this life of, of deep prayer and study. Um, and so it would be really, like, all-encompassing. I mean, he was learning how to read and write and count and those basic things, but also how to serve Mass, learning different trades, um, learning about how to be a virtuous young man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's during this time that he that he he falls into the well, right? <laughs> so he's learning all these virtues, but he didn't have very good friends. Anyway. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Learn. Still got to go through it. Yeah. So, so maybe we can talk t- now about um, how he got this gig, right? Working at a hospital, um, and and this has, I mean, this is a very profound sort of experience in his life because uh, he wasn't. He had all these virtues that he was learning in catechism school. Well, the place where he was working wasn't the most virtuous place uh, yeah. in terms of in terms of the people who were there. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, it had the the nickname of Las Bubas, which stood for the kind of the bumps that people would get usually due to syphilis. And so, um, the hospital is mainly concerned with people with sexually transmitted diseases, like especially syphilis, and and just how awful it was back then. You know, if you didn't have medicine, good medicine, and good treatment. Um, and then again, yeah, the people that probably were going through their very kind of broken lives in many ways, you know, along with their physical ailment. And so John was right, yeah, seeing this stuff even as a child, like right away, and, and the effects, but also learning great compassion, you know, and, and the need for people, whatever situation they're in, to experience love and comfort yeah. that, he, that would, you would see later on in his life. Yeah, and it's, it's I mean, I've read that John... 
uh, it wasn't that he was forced to go work at this hospital. He volunteered himself, mm -hmm. I mean, just as a young man. And so you see how like the poverty, illness, and death that he experienced from early on in his life, it didn't lead him to like kind of flee from those things, but rather it, like filled his, like expanded his heart with compassion to like to those people. To, mm -hmm. I was, like he felt this great desire to go to those people, to love them, to show them the love of God. Yes. And uh, yeah, so he just, he just went off and volunteered. Yeah. And he must have had a, a profound uh, impact um, or witness to the to the uh, to the operators of this hospital because they uh, one man in particular sent him to study with the Jesuits in order to become a chaplain mm -hmm. in a sense. Uh, so he there must have been something in John that was seen uh, by this person to 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 sponsor him in that way. I mean yeah. something that's not. Uh, that's not to be taken lightly. Yeah, yeah in these times of opportunity. Right, mm -hmm. yeah, in these times of, yeah, so it opened this door for him, right, because this director of the hospital, like you said, he saw something great in John, and so he offered to, to allow him to get an education with the Jesuits. This would kind of be like uh, going, going to like undergraduate studies, basically. Yeah. It would be from those ages for John. Um, so he would he would be given this opportunity, which he wouldn't have had otherwise because of the family's poverty, probably. Well, and I think it shows a lot too, just the the blessing of kind of spiritual paternity in his life, and that that he ended up showing to many people himself. But he had just these these figures, especially kind of father type figures, at very crucial moments in his life, that stepped in to really help him, you know, mm -hmm. and to mentor him, to see potential in him and bring it out, you know, because you think a lot of poor children in this situation wouldn't have gotten an education would have maybe found menial work to help with the family, but yet he was given so many uh, opportunities, you know, in spite of his poverty and kind of the normal course of things back then. Um, and just what, what someone can do who sees that potential in someone, loves them in that way, and, and just the impact you can make in someone's life. Yeah, and I think more important even than the, the I mean, I think the education was very important in the sense of, you know, he's learning about, uh, he's learning Latin and grammar and rhetoric and all these things, but more than that, that these were, were Schools, unlike those that we, we have very good examples of today, these were schools where like you really learned to be virtuous. Yeah. Like that was their whole goal of these schools. Yeah. It was just like very holistic education and that had a huge impact on, on John's life. Yeah. We could use more of that in today's day and age. I think back of my own schooling and I was not learning virtue. Right. <laughs> yeah, usually it's the opposite experience. Yeah, yeah you Especially lose virtue. in college. <laughs> yes. Well, I think that's maybe a good place to end for today. Um, you know, John graduates from the Jesuit uh, school when he's 21, and that's what we'll pick up next week. Um, so we thank you again for tuning in this week to this season. We're excited to, to really dive in deeper and explore John's life. Um, and we'll see you next week. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Brother Pier Giorgio here. Thanks for checking out this episode of CarmelCast. If you want to hear more of us, don't forget to click subscribe. Also, be sure to click like if you enjoyed this episode. And maybe even leave us a comment. We post discussion questions down below to get the conversation going. Want more information on Carmelite spirituality and the Discalced Carmelite Saints? Then you'll want to check out our website, www.icspublications.org. There's a link in the description of this episode. From here, you can see all our current promotions and access our complete catalog for the writings of St. John of the Cross, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Therese of Lisieux, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, and St. Edith Stein. If you want to stay up to date on all our promotions and new titles, then be sure to add your email to our email list. 
there's no better way to stay up to date on the latest Carmelite publications. Thanks for joining us, and may God bless you.